Oh, hey, hey, welcome back to the show. I'm super excited for you to meet my very first guest. Rose White is an intuitive eating practitioner and generally an epic human being who I absolutely love seeing in my newsfeed. We go super deep and we get emotional in this episode as we talk about how she broke free of people pleasing and remembered that she's actually a rebel at heart. Hello and welcome Rose to the podcast. I'm so, so happy to welcome you as my first guest. So welcome. Thank you. Privileged, excited to be here. I'm so happy to have you on because you and I met um, just over three years ago now on a nutrition and lifestyle coaching level four diploma bit of a mouthful with the Institute of Health Sciences from Dublin and it was a distance learning and we were put into the same accountability group we connected on social media and I was like oh my god this chick is amazing I loved what you were doing on Instagram with your stories and just showing up and being you and giving heaps of value and being so funny with it like absolutely absolutely love um your social media so everyone needs to go and check out uh live was it talking about a mouthful too many l's in that live a well thought about life. that yeah. well i'll make sure it's in the show notes and you can tell us at the end how we can connect with you but tell us um all about you and yeah just give us a general introduction before we get into this absolutely um well yeah i'm rose and um, since we qualified, I have been working as a nutrition and I went on to also qualify as an intuitive eating practitioner. Um, so I work in the non-diet space. So I work with women who tend to have a history of disordered eating, um, emotional eating, erratic eating to find a more peaceful relationship with food and their bodies. Um, I am mum of three as well. Um, and yeah, I'm 41 this year. 41 and that yeah getting older has been am I allowed to swear it's been bloody brilliant (laughs) (laughs) because because you know as you said I think the older we get the easier it becomes to show up as ourselves Mm. and uh yeah but yeah that's that's who I am and what I do amazing so so what would you say has it always been easy to show up as yourself or what was what was it like for you before what was the reality take us back um, absolutely not. Um, I think, I think it wasn't until I actually made the decision to retrain and meeting on the course was a point in time where that was a turning point for me when I, mm-hmm. I said, you know what, I'm not going to do, I had a career in marketing, 16, 17 years in marketing, part of the corporate world. Um, and I said, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore, but it all accumulated at a point in time where I reached a, a real low in my life I had a very depressive episode um and found myself questioning everything and I think I grew up the oldest of four um and took on the role that being the oldest tends to bring about being the responsible one I was always very academic um I was always the prefect or head girl and always did well in exams. And I very quickly learned that my role in life was to um, succeed and 
be the person who got the A and to please. And um, my parents divorced. I'm trying to, th- you know, I'm thinking about all these key mm. moments. My parents divorced. My dad disappeared to go find himself on a boat, left my mum with four children. Um, and I very much took on a parental role in that at that time. And um, I think I grew up very quickly mm-hmm. um, and took it upon myself to ensure that I met everybody else's emotional needs before my own. Mm-hmm. And then that was the story I took forward throughout, you know, throughout my life. And then I met my husband, I had three children, and still I think I was a slave to the thoughts that I had to be, or I had to show up, um, a moderated version of myself. Mm. And I had to show up and I had to be the best mum. And I had to be the mum that was creating sensory baskets and feeding my children avocado and papaya. And I had to have a show home and I had to, um, you know, have try and have a career at the same time. And that became a really big thing for me. I, I, I'm going to go off on tangents here, but I, a really big thing for me and something I've had to work really hard at undoing is my sense of worth and financial independence mm. and how the two have highly um, interwound for me. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think to cut a long story short, I think I was a people pleaser. I think I was a perfectionist. I think I was fearful of being judged all the time. I was very much um, concerning myself with how people were viewing me. Mm-hmm. And I think I hit a point where I dealt with some really, this, is, this sounds really childish, but there were some really mean mums at school. Mm-hmm. And I went through a really horrible time at school gates where I was quite ostracized. And that led to me falling down this, um, into this depressive episode. But what that allowed me to do was break free of those relationships where I think I had spent an inordinate amount of time feeling really uncomfortable in myself because I was showing up pretending to be someone I wasn't. Mm -hmm. The reality is that I am very quirky, creative, um, a bit silly sometimes, (laughs) Um, and a natural nonconformist. But I've spent years trying to conform because it was my belief that if I didn't, I wasn't worthy. I wouldn't be good enough. I didn't fit the box. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the depressive episode was my mind's way of telling me enough is enough. You, mm-hmm. You're not living your authentic life. You're not being yourself and you can't do this anymore. Mm. it's like being folded up the only way I can describe it sometimes it's like being folded up in this really uncomfortable position inside yourself does that make sense am I making sense yeah completely so I talk about like for me it was more like an unboxing it's like like allowing myself to break free of all these boxes I've put myself in so I relate Mm. to this box of the people pleaser and like I was also the oldest child um but I'm interested in the non-conformist part of you and the quirkiness and the silliness is all the reasons why I love you and absolutely like adored what I saw online. And I know that that's um, so authentic and real and raw. This is who we're talking to now, right? It's, that's not mm. a persona, that's not a character that you put on at all. So 
what was the process that you had to go through? I'm interested in, um, I always talk about uh, it being a revolution, if you like. So it's like mm-hmm. rebelling against that stuff. What was what was that process like for you? Was it messy? Was it um, linear? Was it like, tell us about that moment and what happened from there. It was messy. <laughs> and I think it was messy because I had to cut relationships. Mm-hmm. The only way I knew it was almost like I instinctively knew that in order to come back to myself and everything was telling me there were all these red flags you know I was really unwell mm-hmm. I'd had to have an iron transfusion I was incredibly anemic um I was tearful all the time I had zero resilience and all I knew at that time is that when I'm around these people I don't feel good mm. I don't feel good when I'm around these particular people I didn't want to put myself into situations I didn't want to go to the parties and the drinks and the dinners where people were just talking about how much money they'd spent on their swimming pool or how much money they were their values and beliefs were not aligned to my own and it was it was it was a critical moment because I realized that instead of me trying to align myself with them I had a right to surround myself with people who aligned with what I believe deeply in so one of the first things I did was actually choose very consciously to remove myself from relationships that were for want of a better word superficially friendships but underneath were very toxic Mm -hmm. and I I cut those the other thing I did was make the decision and these are really big things I'm talking about and I'm not suggesting that everyone needs to make such huge (laughs) decisions to go through this process and I was in a very fortunate and privileged position where I was able to do this was to make that significant career change and step out of the corporate world and um, think about what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and that's when I made the decision to retrain in nutrition and I, I met you and then I spent a huge amount of time walking in nature at the time we were living in the new forest and I spent hours with my dog Rue in the woods walking allowing myself to be alone with me and my thoughts Mm -hmm. and nobody else and allowing all the difficult ones the messy ones the painful ones to come forward and it was as though and I remember describing this to my best friend Sal it was as though my brain said we are ready to deal with this now because the lid came off the box Mm -hmm. and a lot of stuff that I'd been suppressing Mm -hmm started to come up, it started to come up in my dreams, memories from my past, it all began to present itself. And for me, that was very telling because it was as though my subconscious was saying, you are in the right place now to do this work. Mm. So there was that. Mm The other thing I did was discover Instagram. Mm -hmm. And um, I hadn't, you know, been part of the Instagram world prior to this, so about four years ago. And I set this account up and it was different to my private account that, you know, all the mums at school knew about and friends and family. This was live a well life and nobody knew me. No one knew me. I could be, I could be unashamedly, unapologetically myself. And that process, and I used it almost like a digital journal. And I'd show up on stories and I'd write posts and they were sometimes the rawest, biggest emotional dumps. And I look back now and I'm like, wow, Rose, you were in a 
that was a tricky place. And I put it all out there and I started to blog and I had a blog and I'd write these long blogs about all the stuff I was working through. And I just put it out there. And what I found is that people started coming into my space who go, I get it. I understand. Mm-hmm. I feel you. Thank you. I'm, I'm there with you. And who I felt I could completely be myself with. And that was amazing because they said, I see you, Rose. I see you in your raw, messy, you know, sometimes I'd snotty cry on stories self. And I still like you and I still want to be part of your world. And that was, I'm going to get emotional talking about it. That was massive. That was a massive breakthrough for me because I felt accepted. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I have Instagram. Thanks for that. And then... From there on in, I can honestly say it has just been the most remarkable journey of self-compassion and I, I, when we talked before this podcast, we talked about this podcast and you said to me about you know, um, can you pinpoint a time? And I remembered writing a post and I wrote this post on this messy Instagram. It must have been back in the autumn of 2017. I found it this morning and it's a photo of me in this fake fur coat I've bought, okay? And this fake fur coat has got all this multitude of autumn colors in it, okay? And this coat and the day I bought this coat marked for me a real turning point and do you mind if I, I share it's only short yeah and I wrote the words rebel with the hands up emoji okay rebels in capital letters and then I wrote Oscar Wilde said every woman is a rebel if rebellion comes in the shape of an out there fake fur coat from anthropology then I am finally after too many years of being a pleaser a rebel I love this coat beyond measure. It epitomizes this stage of my life. I'm being true to the girl I allowed self-deprecation to sit on a shelf many years ago. Now as a woman and a mother, I've recently gone back into that room in my head where I left that younger me, the girl who worried too much about what the rest of the world thought. I've lifted her from the shelf, given her a hug she so very badly needed and told her that I love her. And that, that moment, and that moment when that day I walked into the playground, and I think sometimes we are so anchored in our, um, the narratives that occurred when we were children. As a child, I was always on the outside because my, my innate self is slightly quirky. I am the girl that wants to, you know, I wanted to put on a show, I didn't want to... I didn't want to go to the parties. I didn't want to go to the nightclubs. I did want to read a book on Shakespeare and hang out in a field instead. That's who I was, but I felt very alien. And that sense of being alien traveled with me throughout my adulthood, I feel. And I spent years trying to put that self away and go, well, you know, that's strange. That girl doesn't fit in. You should be into, you know, you should be listening to house music and doing all the things that your friends are doing. And, I never wanted to do it. And, but actually the day I walked into the playground wearing that coat, 
and I held my head high and I'd also dyed my hair bright red everybody <laughs> like seriously I then went through a very rebellious stage I now have six ear piercings from this wow. stage of my life where I went no no I'm gonna do all the things I said as I, you know that I didn't allow myself to do I've stopped just short of getting a tattoo but I keep thinking about it but it uh, was a massive massive turning point and it was so freeing and from that point on it's been as though the rock has been traveling down the other side of the hill oh. and um it's amazing I know it feels so good to finally be with myself I love yeah. that and thank you so much for sharing and it it's really touched me as well because this is why I know this is why you're in this work as well right because when you experience the freedom that comes with actually saying screw that shiz and you just come yeah. back to like it's a journey, of course, of like unraveling that stuff, of unlearning some stuff that we've learned to believe about ourselves, of actually working out who we are. But when you, when like even the journey itself is quite freeing, right? It's like, like you said, it's that, it's almost like that, the, the boulder that topples over the edge and then it starts to gain momentum and it's just, yeah, it's so beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing that because I think I'm not a mum, but I have friends that have talked about those school gates and it's one thing that's almost put me off parenting because I thought I mm -hmm. never want to be one of those mm -hmm. people and I'm not saying everyone is is like that but um, I'm sure there are people listening that have had that experience so I'm mm -hmm. I'm grateful for you sharing it um, and I'm so glad that you found that freedom and you came back to yourself. I love that you talked about being out in nature and that being part of your kind of I guess healing as well as social media being a healing tool right and I completely get that um what other kind of inner work did you do tell us about like you know how you started to tune in and become aware of these thoughts and actually were able to choose not to listen to them opt out of those kind of thoughts because this is I think where a lot of the work starts right what did the inner game look like for you other than some of the things you've spoken about so for me, writing was an amazing vehicle for helping me. So I think the, the practice of writing in itself is reflective often, especially if you just do that stream of consciousness mm -hmm. writing. So sometimes it would be, and I felt, I felt compelled, like the words would just be tumbling out of me, out of my head onto paper. And sometimes it was poetry and sometimes it was blog posts and sometimes it, was the series of letters that I wrote to my younger self and they were the most healing and I've still got them in a pile under my desk and there are there are letters in there that deal with everything from how I um my body image so for your listeners I had um an eating disorder in my mid to late teens into my early 20s so I had a very distorted sense of self or I didn't have a sense of mm -hmm. who I was. And that's very highly um, correlated with a um, propensity to having an eating disorder is, mm -hmm. you know, we tend to have perfectionist traits, be a people pleaser and not really have a true sense of who we are outside of these external kind of measures. So I wrote a lot of letters back to myself. I wrote letters back to the mother I was, you know, I thought I needed to be. I wrote letters um, back to myself to deal with a when the Me Too movement came about, and that was 
again, probably the box with the biggest amount of snakes in. But the day I wrote that letter, again, was a pinnacle turning point. It was such a huge release. Mm-hmm. And to be able to go back to myself and say, that wasn't your fault. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't have to hold the pen anymore. You can, this is your story. You get to write it. And still now, sometimes I revisit those letters and um, I think they are, a really good way of helping me when I doubt myself of seeing how far I've come. So writing for me has been huge, huge part of that journey. Um, And in latter years, probably really mainly in the last year, um, yoga. And I hate, I always hate saying that because I was like, yeah, it doesn't every white middle-class woman get on the yoga mat. But, um, But that time I think yoga helps you really return into your inner world I think it really helps you connect it's so much more than a series of poses isn't it it's um, and the importance of meditating and um, mindfulness work that's been really really supportive to me Mm, I love that and I love how you talk about um, that it's not journaling as such but writing and it sounds incredibly empowering as well in terms of the process and when you share it how empowering that is as well because I know you share a lot of your writing and it's mm. so beautifully done um and yeah I, I think it's incredibly healing and empowering to other people as well mm. uh, as well as inspiring so thank, um, you. thank you for sharing that and I agree on the yoga it's like really important I think to find a good yoga teacher as in they teach yoga not just the flow of yoga right yeah. and I've had some of the most confronting moments on the yoga mat when I'm in a 90 minute class and we're doing 60 minutes of breath work or um, actually just laying on the mat and having to be still. Like it's my favorite thing to do now is a bit of yin yoga where you're just like in the stretch to be stretching rather than just to like to be getting into some contortionist kind of poses. But yeah, incredibly confronting, but also, I had my first experience of feeling and experiencing energy in yoga, energy in my body. So I was on a yoga retreat in um, Bali, like amazing opportunity to be out there with an amazing yoga teacher. And we did this hip opener um, for like two hours or something, 5.30 as the sun was coming up, just beautiful setting. And I thought at the end when we were in Shavasana that she'd come around and put her hands on my kind of... um, womb area if you like because that's what it felt like someone put my hand and when it went on for a few minutes I thought no that's not her and we talked afterwards and it's like no that's like this energy that's there because that's the um that's kind of like what yoga helps you do as well right be in your body and actually experience this life force this energy that's flowing Mm -hmm. through you so that for me just got me hooked as well because I was like I want more of that and that's when I realized that actually that is like a feeling that was me starting to feel yes you know, it's only energy like it's not only energy but I, I was actually being in my body and feeling things in my body and that was like a huge moment for me as well because I don't know about you I know you mentioned your um the kind of eating side of things but in terms of like being with your emotions as well has, has that ever been like something that you've struggled with I think 
have I ever struggled being with my emotions? I don't think so. I think I've always been an emotional person. I think the issue I had with that is that I believed that that was a flaw. Mm, yeah. I was told all the time, you're too sensitive. Mm-hmm. You're too emotional. You're too this, you're too that. You, you know, oh, you know, I didn't mean that. You're just too sensitive. And I got that a lot of the time. And I didn't also understand growing up that I was an empath. Mm-hmm. and think simple things like my inability to watch certain news stories or I'd read something and it would haunt me for weeks um, or not wanting to sit in a restaurant and face the little old man who was sat at the table on his own because I was picking up on energy that then mm-hmm. I couldn't put down um, and I spent years feeling as though that was something that was innately wrong with me yeah. And I think part of the journey, part of writing in itself is allowing those big feelings to be expressed. Mm-hmm. And now I understand that actually, whereas sometimes being an empath and having, um, you know, being someone who's highly attuned to their emotions can present with difficulties. It is also my, it's also my superpower. Mm-hmm. And it's the thing that means that I can connect with people and, um, and now I realize, yeah, it's a strength. And that was, that was really helpful for me. Um, yeah. because I was living under the labels everyone was, was giving me. And I think as women were often told we're to this. Yeah. And how do you, how do you then adapt your parenting to ensure that your, your kids aren't like brought up to believe they're too emotional or, or whatever? Is there, is there things that you found in terms of how you let them be I think at home I mean I don't think any of my children have a problem expressing their emotions (laughs) (laughs) I've got a teenager in the house um but yeah and I think it's having a the it's empowering my children with the language around that as well so we talk about these are big feelings it's okay to feel that way Mm. and and helping them by naming it I think as parents we sometimes fall into the trap of wanting to fix it because you want your child you don't want your child to be distressed you don't want them to be upset you don't want them to be going through that horrible thing with the girl on snapchat um but I think one of the kindest things I can do for my children is help them name it you know this is hard I see you're angry you know sometimes I just reflect the emotion back so, you know, they're raging and I'll say, you're angry. And then just being seen, just being heard, just knowing that they know that I've, I'm aware and I'm not going to try and shut that down almost helps them immediately begin to decompress. And that anger might turn to floods of tears and mm-hmm. the truth will actually come out. Actually, mum, I feel really overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, and I learned that act of um, that tool of reflecting from an amazing woman called Mandy Priest, who um, does a lot of um, training on listening skills, but not active listening, but truly emphatic listening. And she learned those skills through soul midwifery. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I think it's just allowing them and naming them and, and helping them be seen and heard. 
Yeah. And I love that because I um, certainly experienced being told, you know, don't cry and all that kind of thing um, yeah. growing up. And I think that's something, you know, again, it's like the parents trying to fix it. Right. And our parents do the best they can. But um, I very much went like I suppressed a lot of my emotions. So I love hearing I see my sister doing an amazing job of patience with her little ones like toddlers um, who are, you know, they have no other way of expressing what's going on if they can't talk so um actually having that patience and just being with it and just like being there for them um is amazing so i love that thank you for sharing so tell us how all of this experience lived and learned is is like culminating in the work that you're doing now tell us a bit more about the reframe club and how you're working with um others to help them on their journeys Oh, where to start? Um, I want to make the point that I'm still growing and this is still a process of feeling my way and developing. But the best part of that process is being able to do it from that springboard, that platform of feeling like I'm, I'm me and I'm authentically me. So every decision I make, I'm now filtering through that mm -hmm. rather than all those external voices. So um, part of that did lead into us, uh, my brother and I, um, founded Refrain Club, which is our digital coaching hub, but it's all based on a non-diet approach to, to well-being because I think every woman deserves to feel at peace with food and their body and kick diet culture to the curb for sure. Um, and I'm still developing my own practice. I mean, I, as of last night, I had my first lecture as I dip my toe into qualifying as a um, counsellor. So I'm wanting to bring that lived experience to, um, yeah, another, another part of my work. And, and the truth is, whilst I spend a lot of time, intuitive eating is a therapeutic framework. And so many of the discussions we have, or I have with clients when we're applying the framework aren't on nutrition. Mm. Nutrition is the very final piece of the puzzle. Yeah. We spend most of our time talking about values and beliefs and boundaries and their sense of identity and self because without those they externalize a need for a sense of control or um, feeling as though they don't they aren't worthy or they they can't be happy until they have um, met a certain body goal weight aesthetic um, so it feels for me like the natural progression and ethically the right progression for my practice. But yeah, I, I guess I want all women and men to feel the same way. I want, once I discovered, once I discovered the practice of intuitive eating and when I first started reading about it, there was a lecturer actually at IHS that was, I was following on Instagram and she wrote in her bio, she was, um, health every size informed. And then she wrote a post about intuitive eating. I remember it, it piqued my interest. What's this? You know, what are you, what are you talking about? Um, and the minute I started researching it and reading about it and then applying it to my own life, it was such a light bulb moment. It was, and then you just want to become evangelistic about it. You want to tell everybody there is a different way. You don't have to feel this way anymore. There is this incredible way where it's freeing and beautiful and compassionate and kind and, you can let all that stuff go and 
yeah, I just wanted to share it. And I wanted to share it with as many people as I can, which is why WeFrame Club came about, because I wanted to make an affordable way of people to um, get their hands on coaching and behavioural coaching, questioning and journal prompts and reflections and input without necessarily having to commit to um, what in truth is quite often an expensive thing, working with a coach one-to-one. So that's how that came about. And uh, yeah, it's my baby. I love it. And you know, you're speaking my language as well, because this Mm -hmm. month I've been doing um, over on Facebook, um, a weight release experiment because I don't like to talk about weight loss because if we lose something, we generally want to find it again or it finds us. So (laughs) weight release, but an experiment just around, um, and I called it the diet revolution um, in true um, rebel style because again, non-diet, yeah, speaks my language. And it's, it's actually been a really great way of showing people how the other side of dieting, like, yeah, I still want to lose, I still want to release weight. Um, but I'm not going to do it in a restrictive way that doesn't feel good for me. So this is what the alternative looks like, because I don't think we're not shown that alternative. Right. Mm -hmm. So I absolutely love the work you're doing with reframe club. And um, yeah, I wish you all the luck with that. So where can people find you? Um, Tell us all the things on the socials. Well, um, you can find me at Liverwell Life on Instagram and at Reframe Club. I do tend to hang out there mostly. I am on Twitter. I am on Facebook, but I very rarely go on. <laughs> if you, you want to find me, head for Instagram. You can also head to my website, www.liverwelllife.co.uk. And you can catch Reframe the podcast, our own podcast on Apple um, podcast player, Thingy Bob amazing and just a few final words then from you what what um have you got a favorite quote that you'd like to share with the listeners I do um and it's from a poem called hold your own by Kate Tempest and she says ask your hands to know what they hold and whenever I feel anxious or lost I come back to those words and I always tend to find myself coming back to poetry um but those words really speak to me because I think they remind us to that all we have is the moment that we're in so ask your hands to know what they hold but also to be grateful for what's in them at that moment in time so yeah I love I love that line from her poem I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And thanks for being my first guest on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, no, it's been an absolute honour. So thank you so much, Rose. And thanks for listening. I will um, see you again soon.